0: feeling sad right now that you didn't come to my house evan since you pointed out that you were trick-or-treating and were neighbors and you didn't
1: drop by i'm Uh, sad as well (laughs) that i didn't go to your house because you were giving out full chocolate bars
0: yeah and and did you have an oh they're so cute like you gotta bring them
1: i know and they were totally ridiculous at the door like at times, spontaneously breaking out into song about trick-or-treating, you know, give me something, you know, smell my feet, that song. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, like, cringing at the curb as a parent, but also laughing. And, like, you know, but everyone in good sports, like, laughing and singing along with them It was, <laughs> it was funny. Bruce I like had,
0: uh, I got a story. Bruce had opened the door with his uh, fire gear on and one of the moms screamed <laughs> out from the sidewalk. It's a stripper. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my gosh. All right, Mom.
1: (laughs) That's your association. (laughs) Well, thank goodness she hasn't had a house burned down on her.
2: I called 911, and they just sent all these strippers to my house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? My house is on fire. No, ma'am, we're actually firemen.
2: <laughs>
1: um oh my John, so Jonas is eight and he's pretty funny. He um there's one house where you know the their big window, they were like had you could see the TV behind it, and the TV was on Shaw Cable's um the directory listing, you know, a channel guide. Okay. And we don't have Shaw Cable, we've never had Shaw Cable, so he has no idea what that looks like he thought it was some kind of game menu. And so they opened the door. He's like, what were you doing? They're like, what? They're like, what were you doing? They're like, Oh, we are just watching TV. He's like, no, you weren't. They're like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, no, cause I saw, I saw your TV in the window. And they're like, no, Oh, that's just the channel menu. And he's like, oh. (laughs) He's grilling them at the door. (laughs) We're like, why were you arguing with them about what they were doing? (laughs) (laughs) So kids are crazy. Also, Mm -hmm. just some things to note in the background. Um, You can kind of see my table. Mm -hmm. Got that new table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, over there, you can see I brought that in today. That is for my car huh? to get the snow off it because it is snowing like crazy.
2: It oh. is snowing like crazy. It did mercifully leave the kids alone for Halloween, but I think right at the stroke of midnight is when it started snowing at our house. And um, yeah, it there's a lot of snow on the ground at my house right now.
0: Evan, why did you bring your your snow brush into your office and not leave it in your car? I've got questions now.
1: Well, it's clearly the most effective way to use your snow brush, Kim, for a number of reasons. Number one, if it's in your trunk and there's a bunch of snow on your trunk, you open the trunk and a bunch of snow falls in the trunk. Okay. Number two, if it's in the back seat, which is why I normally carry it, because that's better than the trunk for that reason, you open the door and snow gets in the door a little bit less than the trunk, but... A little bit, Hmm. so if it's like really coming down, I'll take it in the office with me.
2: Um, I would zero times out of a 100 remember to take the snow brush with me, and then I'd be that much worse off.
1: I'm just just that kind of guy. What if you forget
0: it in the office and you bought your car? I'll
1: come back because I'll be like, Oh, the car's covered in snow, Mm. usually. Right, because when I, I do that, when it's like actively snowing, so there's gonna be snow in my car. Um, and also, you can see it's right underneath my jacket, so I'll see it. Also, one other thing
2: more things.
1: This is exciting today.
2: Oh, a cactus.
1: And I got an office cactus for my birthday from a former guest.
2: Oh, well, happy belated birthday and congratulations on your new office family member.
1: This is from Michael Sommerfeld, the sex therapist.
2: Oh,
0: very nice. We should do a contest and have our listeners name your cactus and we'll give them a mug for the best name. Yeah. Uh
1: Done. Uh, Name my cactus. You can get one of these babies.
0: (laughs) and where Where do people submit their answer
1: um a2jpodcast at Mm gmail.com and uh i I mean i just acted like you could see this but if you're listening to the podcast i'm holding up a white porcelain mug and it says access to justice podcast with our logo and everything on it and the (laughs) a2jpodcast.com uh address on it in our lovely shade of teal and then on the back side it has our logo in big Mm -hmm. so if you look at the video you can see all sides of the mug all three of us have our mugs out so they're pretty sweet mugs i'm not gonna lie um so name my cactus
2: name your cactus is there any okay. like psychology things that we should be reading into you getting a prickly plant from Michael Sommerfeld? If you weren't a psychologist, I wouldn't even ask, but I wonder if he's sending. He's not a psychologist. Sort of not psychologist. That's right. He's he's a, social a social worker, worker and therapist. registered therapist. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> I didn't think about it until you brought it up Heather. but now I've got some questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what the having a prickly cactus says about m- what Mike thinks of my personality or something, but uh, I'll, now I've got some questions for him, Heather.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's why we're just, you know, here to <laughs> here to find out what's going on.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's the updates about my office. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's wait, Kim, did you move the painting?
0: Yes, my walls were painted. The other day, okay, so I had to remove it. So then I remounted it where my cable box was Ooh. to hide it. Ooh. So, so that's yes, it moved.
1: Nice, yeah. still looks very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, welcome to Access to Justice.
2: You're one of our hosts, Evan Clark of Cahain Law. I'm the other host, Heather Mallory of Merrick Law, and we're joined by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim's a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James
0: Limited.
1: Yes, she is. (laughs) Yes, she is.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me on again every single time.
2: We just love you so much. It's yeah. So nice to have you here. <laughs> so I think today we are picking Evan's brain about some things that are related to estate, sort of related to estate planning. um But um, maybe it's a a good tie-in with the Halloween and the spooky themes so. <laughs> of oh, of skulls <laughs> and and and. Such. So, um, I don't know, dear listener, if you want to learn a little bit more about wills and estate planning, we've done previous episodes on that. So, you can check out our website um, and look for that episode. Um, But today, I think we wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into personal directives. And actually, this is my first question for you, Evan. What is the plural of power of attorney?
1: It's powers of attorney is how I've always been told, but there's a, you know, I don't know who makes those kinds of decisions, Heather. Mm. Um, For example, in the military, you would say sergeants major instead Uh of sergeant majors. Right. And you would say courts, marshal, not court marshals. But I think someone just, in their you know stiff upper lip british presumptuousness just decided hmm, this sounds more official or i don't know so <sighs> i think i am personally of the opinion that you should say it whatever way feels natural to you
0: I okay. if you want to say power of
1: attorneys that sounds a bit funny actually because now it sounds like there's more than one attorney right Maybe that's how they go powers of attorney, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but power of attorney is a noun phrase. And usually you can pluralize noun phrases just once. So it's kind of a package, but right. anyway, definitely
2: wouldn't say powers of attorneys.
1: <laughs> I guess you would, if there was multiple attorneys and multiple Oh, right. I mean, I, I, let, yeah, we were way overthinking this at this point. Mm, we are.
2: We are. Okay. All right. All right. So to focus back, <laughs> okay. we're here today to talk about personal directives and powers of attorney. So where would you like to start? Which topic would you like to start with?
1: Let's start with personal directives. So by just saying personal directive, it's not really clear what that is. Um, because we call it that in alberta but they don't i don't know if anywhere else calls it that what that document is you might have heard living will, uh, or something of that nature and i can't remember what the other provinces call them now off the top of my head i apologize for that but it's a document that sets out your wishes for what happens to you if you um become mentally incapacitated your wishes specifically about your medical care. It's broader than that, but that's kind of what usually people will think about for this document. Uh-huh. And um, it also appoints an um, alternative decision maker or, a, or somebody to make the decisions for you if you become mentally incapacitated, decisions about your health and stuff. So that's a personal directive. That's what we call a personal directive in Alberta. Um, and to expand on that now that i've kind of introduced you to the concept it's a little bit more than just those it's generally like it can be used to to appoint that decision maker and to give that person we call them an agent in this document to give your agent the all the authorities of a guardian as granted by a court so in alberta and most jurisdictions you can bring an, app, an application an to represent an adult that no longer has capacity to make decisions for themselves. Right. And be named their guardian. And so the personal directive can allow, allows you to appoint that person beforehand. And then it, and then it includes, um, you know, the one that I draft anyways, it'll include what powers and authority they have specifically kind of lays it out so that, um, you know, that would include all the powers of a guardian, um, but also specifically, uh, sets out the authority to consent to or withdraw consent for medical care or, or medication, anything like that. And to, um, have the last say about who can visit in the hospital and, um yeah things of that nature
0: okay um i've heard the term green sleeve uh so when i know i know specifically i've heard this from my husband who's a firefighter when they go into the hospital there's a, a green sleeve and i guess that's like a green envelope with like your power of a ter- or personal directive some kind of powers of care stuff Have you, do you know anything about what the green sleeve is? Like how you get your personal directive in there and what that looks like?
1: I don't, I just, as you said it, I look it up and, um, the province of Alberta has like, I guess that's an Alberta thing. And the province of Alberta has information about that online. And it says a green sleeve is a plastic pocket that holds your important advanced care planning forms, personal directive if you get a green sleeve it'll come with a blank one if you already have your own you take the blank one out and then you put your own in there goals of care designation so this is a specific form a specific uh, government form um and your personal directive i think just by the name of that form i think your personal directive would cover that as well advanced care planning slash goals of care designation tracking record is another thing that goes in your green sleeve so you can get it by asking your healthcare provider or you can order it online and they'll send one to you five to 10 business days. And where should you keep it? It belongs to you when you're at home. Keep it in a place that's easy to find, such as on or near your fridge. That's a good idea because emergency responders need to find your important healthcare documents quickly and they're trained to look for personal medication near your fridge. I did not know this.
0: Huh.
1: So that's a green sleeve. Thank you for asking that, Kim, because uh, now I'm more uh, knowledgeable about that and you should put your personal directive in there. Um, yeah. So do you have any questions in general about that? Or do you want me to just start continue talking more about what would be in that document?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that was one of the questions I had that sort of, uh, about that is like who should have a copy of it and where should it be kept because yeah I mean in that kind of situation where um a firefighter or first responder is coming into your house um everyone's probably gonna well you want everyone to know what your wishes are I would guess so that's uh that's really interesting about the green sleeve thing
1: um yeah, yeah. So that green sleeve is kind of like for example I don't have a green sleeve and I'm not going to order one anytime soon because I'm not like I'm healthy. I don't think anything's going to happen to me, but I still have a personal directive because that's part of my estate planning documents and everyone should have one. Um, so where do you keep it if you don't have a green sleeve where it's not really feasible? Like, could you imagine I have five kids? We got seven green sleeves, like packed to the kitchen, to the fridge door. Mm. It's not really the most feasible option. So, um, you don't necessarily need to have a green sleeve until, you know, that might be something you get when you're kind of older and you start going to hospital more regularly for things that are like non-life threatening, but you still have to go to hospital when you're in that situation, for sure. That should be in your green sleeve and that should be ready to go at all times Mm. before that point. All of your estate planning documents, so your will, your power of attorney, your personal directive, and I also always recommend that people keep a list of people that need to be notified if anything happens to them, an up-to-date list of your uh, accounts and things, investments and stuff, anything that your attorney named your power of attorney might need access to. Keep all of those together in a safe place could be a safety deposit box. It doesn't have to be, um, make sure people know where to find it, right. If something happens to you, um, that your you know, your, your best friend, your personal representative named in your will, your attorney named in your power of attorney, or your, you know, the people that you're naming those documents should know where to find them. Um,
2: every time my parents go on holidays, I think they're like, Heather, don't forget, all of our stuff is in the, and I can never remember. Isn't that terrible? They're going away again. Sorry, mom and dad. If you're listening to this, I promise I'm really going to pay attention this time. (laughs) They'll know where your documents are. I have a a few good guesses, but it's probably, I, I think that's good advice. So if somebody tells you where their will is, it's probably important to listen and remember as well, right?
1: Yeah, Yes, Heather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My parents is in their freezer. They've got like a chest freezer it, It's in a Ziploc bag in there. Mm, okay. <laughs> and there's, there's a, in British Columbia, they have this, um, system that I don't think we, I'm pretty I'm 99% certain. We don't have anything like this in Alberta, but they, um, you can register at least your will, maybe all of your estate planning documents. I'm not sure, but they have like a registry. Hmm. And so my parents' documents are registered in that registry as well. That makes sense, I think. Albert, I don't think we have that. But. Um, so personal directive. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well,
2: I had one other question. But um, you mentioned your kids and whether they would have a green sleeve or not. So can someone who is under 18 have a personal directive if they're in that sort of older end of you know, the range, getting close to 18 and having ideas about, (laughs) you know, uh, decision-making for themselves, um, or do their parents by default have ultimate medical decision-making authority?
1: Um, I might be putting
2: you on the spot with that. You may not know the answer to that right off the bat. Well,
1: I feel pretty confident that I know the answer, but I don't have, like, it's not the most, like... it's not something that I've just looked up and could tell you about, but what, but children that are under 18 are already have guardians. Right. So their guardians have all the powers of a guardian already, right. Children under 18 that, you know, we don't have, we don't call it like emancipation here in Canada, but, um, you know, if you're living at home and you're, and or you're under 16, like you've got a guardian somewhere. And so yeah, guardians, someone under the age of majority in Alberta probably doesn't need one, but my oldest is 18 now, Heather. So mm. you can have one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah. So the personal director. It be your birthday present. It sounds like a good one. Something an 18 birthday. year old would Here's your will. You're leaving everything to me. Sign here.
0: (laughs) I I have uh, a breaking news. This just in from the fire department. They are saying that they look for it usually on the fridge or on top of the fridge. Beside the bed is another common spot. Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think
0: those are kind of what people should focus on if that's where they're typically looking.
1: Okay, good.
0: I'm
1: going to pass that on to people. Keep it near your bed or on top of your fridge. Personal directive, I wouldn't want them to keep their will on top of the fridge or beside the bed, to be honest. Anyways, okay. Um, So what are some things you might see in a personal directive or some options to have in there? Um, I always include some instructions for the agent. That's, again, the person that's being appointed. Um, and they have some responsibilities. If you're an agent for somebody, you have to keep a record of all the decisions that you make as that decision maker, you have to keep a written record and you have to keep them for at least two years after you stop acting. Um, you also have to make decisions that are consistent with the best interests of the person that you're making the decisions for that should be obvious, but, um, you know, that it is, and it needs to be said because, you know, there've been entire novels written about somebody who is a guardian for somebody and, uh, wasn't making decisions in their best interest, Hmm. usually written by Charles Dickens or something anyways. Um, so that's important. And then the, the kinds of things that go in in the one that I write generally uh, and narrow it down to kind of three scenarios, Well, first you give general, general instructions about like what, what you would want and, and you give a priority that needs to be followed. The priority being if it's written in this document, that's the highest priority. If, um, so follow those instructions. If it's not in the document, then make the decision that you think is, that is consistent with my values and what I would want. And if you're not sure, just do your best. And then there's the specific scenarios and instructions for specific scenarios. And there's there's basically three scenarios. One is, um, temporary incapacity. Now let me back up for a second. Okay. So the personal directive can only come into force. If the person is incapacitated, it's not like, like a a power of attorney as we'll, we'll talk about in a second You can, that can, I have a power. My wife has a power of attorney right now for me, so she can go and do stuff on my behalf because I've granted her that authority. She can produce that. She can go to, if I had a bank account just in my name, she could go there and she could do whatever she needs to do using that power of attorney. But I, I think I still have my mental capacity. (laughs) Personal directive. That's not the case. You cannot, it's not in, in force. Until the person is mentally incapacitated. And so how do you prove that? You get a doctor's note. A doctor examines a person and says that this person is incapacitated. And then that gets attached to the personal directive. And and now it's effective.
2: And that's a formal requirement. Like you'd have to have that medical document.
1: You know, I'm not sure if it's across the board mandated by the act. There's a personal directives act. Uh, requirement, but it's a requirement for the ones that I write. So, and it may be a requirement Mm. to the act. I'm not hundred percent sure. Heather, regardless, it's a, it's a good idea. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. For the person that's writing the personal directive and for the agent, I would guess, right. Mm -hmm. You'd want to have some reassurance that a medical professional has said, yes, this person lacks capacity, I guess.
1: And so the, one of the other duties is to monitor capacity because of that. So We talked about the duties of keeping a record and, and, and um, that another duty is monitoring, monitoring capacity. And as soon as they gain that capacity back, they have to stop acting as the agent and inform anybody they've been dealing with as the agent that they've stopped because the person has capacity again. Okay. So the three scenarios, the first one is temporary incapacity. So usually what people want is if it's temporary in, incapacity, like hold off on making any big decisions. Like, um, if you can hold off from amputating my arm until I wake up again, I'm expected to wake up, then hold off, make, let me make that decision. But you know, if they have to make the decision, cause it's like, we have to amputate or they're probably going to die. Then obviously they can make that decision. Right. The second scenario is long-term incapacity, but we're not like at death. So this would be a situation like perhaps Alzheimer's or dementia where they've, it's progressed to the point where they are not able to really make good decisions about their own care consistently enough that this would come into effect. But that doesn't mean they're out of it there's like you know it's gradual it goes in stages and so in that situation there's a the threshold is as long as they're meaning, able to meaningfully interact and i sorry as i'm do, as i'm going through this like this is not like what's in every personal directive this is in the personal directives that i drafted and just to give you an idea of what could be in a personal directive it's not like if you go get a personal directive it's going to say all of these things right just want to make that clear
2: mm.
1: so Um, If they're in that place where they're, they're now kind of need a personal directive, but they're, but they're still lucid much of the time, then um, as long as they're able to meaningfully interact with other people, they want quality of life maintained. They want procedures to, to extend their life, what you would expect. Um, And, you know, they want their wishes when the person is consulting with them, they want, they want the person to consult with them and they want their wishes to be followed as long as the wishes aren't likely to cause them harm. Okay. So even though they don't have, they're not allowed to make the decisions, they want to be consulted and have their wishes followed if at all possible. Scenario two is when they no longer are able to meaningfully interact with others. In that case, usually what people want is no more, um, like comfort measures only no more. They want to progress to a, a dignified death as soon as possible. Um, and that doesn't mean like accelerated that's different. Like, um, we have a law in Canada that allows medical assistance in dying. You have to have the capacity to choose that. You can't, put that in your personal directive. No one, no one can do that. If you don't have capacity, you have to have capacity to choose that. So, but basically you withdraw. If you're on a dialysis machine, for example, or a breathing machine or something, then if you're no longer able to meaningfully interact with people, that's not the best scenario. Cause that's more, that's not the best example because that's more the next scenario, which is end of life. But basically when you can't, talk with people anymore or interact at all in a meaningful way, then what's, what is there left to live for? You just want to kind of transition at that point in time, peaceful, and dignified way. The last scenario was the end, the very end. Like when you're expected to die within a few hours or a few days in that case, usually what people want is, um, no more drugs of any kind, except for anything to make them comfortable, as comfortable as possible. And no crazy things like dialysis or chemotherapy or or uh, restarting the heart if it stops or CPR or anything like that. You withdraw consent to all those things and just comfort measures only, and and that's kind of what everyone wants at the end. You just want to go in a peaceful way. So that's typically what's in a personal directive, um, and. People acting as agents are in, in the ones that I draft, they're entitled to be reimbursed for out of pocket expenses, but not to be paid for their services as acting as the agent. Okay. And that's pretty much it for personal directive. Any thoughts or questions or comments from either of you?
0: I got some more interesting information about green sleeves while you were talking, Evan.
1: Crack that egg of knowledge on us, Kim.
0: So this is sort of a public service announcement, I guess, because when, when fire department comes into your house, they're, they're going to look for something, but it has to be in an official green sleeve. If it's just papers lying around, that's not going to hold. So they're in an emergency situation trying to figure out whether they should do CPR or not. If you aren't getting that green sleeve from your doctor ordering it online, you're, you are your documents are probably not going to be seen. Mm -hmm. So in an all hands on deck situation, Fire is going to do everything they can, but they probably don't spend more than 20 seconds looking for the documents. So um, I think that's pretty important. I didn't know that. And I think for people who are a little bit older, um, it really is important to order that, that green sleeve and, and put it in places that the fire department is going to see because they might be doing CPR on you and you don't want that uh, purely because they didn't see that green, that green sleeve. huh
1: yeah that's a great point if you're in that situation where you're at home you're able to be at your own home but things are kind of iffy make sure that you have that there obviously on your fridge so that they come in and like oh okay there it is read that before we start cracking chest bones
2: It may be important for folks to, even if they're not older, but maybe these are really important decisions to them for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, religious or spiritual reasons. Um, So, you know, I mean, that's, that's a good public service announcement, I guess, as well. Because if something happens and you want some directions to be followed, it's probably important that those medical providers can find it in a, in a time Mm -hmm. of emergency so and they're saying that fire doesn't
0: listen to family Uh, unless they can produce that physical green sleeve Uh uh, they would have to go against the family and continue all life-saving intervention which puts uh rescue in a very tough spot because the family's angry in in this highly emotional event so uh you know like i'd never thought about this i knew about a green sleeve i never really paid too much attention to it but but i think this is a really important tidbit for people to know about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Kim, I guess just to flesh out the example that you're saying, so say for whatever reason, fire got called to a house to respond to someone who'd fallen down in the kitchen and family came up and said, well, no, no, don't do anything, please. They said, he said, he doesn't want to be resuscitated if something happens. Without that green sleeve, fire can't listen to that family. They would have to take life-saving measures even if it was contrary to a personal directive. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. I think that's really important information actually that I've never even heard of it before. So yeah. thanks. Thanks to your fire connection send our, our thanks their way.
0: (laughs) I'm going to give them some eyebrows later.
1: (laughs) He already likes you enough, Kim. (laughs)
0: But uh, sorry, Evan, I took a little bit away from the the POA part of it, but I just had to sort of intervene with that nugget.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. That's, I think that's a, I think that was a great nugget.
0: And sorry, Evan, I just
2: wanted to clarify something that you'd said about the uh, medical assistance in dying. So that's when a medical professional would take active steps to bring the end of life to someone. So, but you can't assign that consent to someone. Is that correct? You can't say, if this happens, then I want you to consent to that on my behalf. You're not able to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly not an expert on all the rules around medical assistance in dying or okay. made but I did just help somebody with, uh, filling this form out. They were in, in, uh, jail and they needed to, they needed to have a witness do it. And like the only one that they would let do as a witness was a lawyer, which is kind of odd, but so it's not like a legal document that you don't normally need a lawyer to do it. So, um, that document is what you need in order to prove that you've consented to it. Mm. from what I understand. And that document has to be filled out by the person or filled out on behalf of the person because the person can't physically fill it out. Right. But they have to have capacity in order to apply their consent to that form.
2: Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, if there's no other questions or comments, we're moving on to enduring power of attorney
0: as opposed to what other power of
1: attorney as opposed to a power of attorney that's not recognized as such under Alberta law.
0: Like a springing power of attorney? No, a
1: springing attorney. Good use Well, good use of the word of the nomenclature Kim <laughs> is an enduring power of attorney can be springing or immediate. So Ooh. we call it an enduring power of attorney because, um, the Powers of Attorney Act in Alberta specifies in order for it to be governed by that legislation, it needs to have words there to the effect that it endures notwithstanding a change in um, mental capacity, if it's immediate or if it's springing that it endures until they regain capacity and revoke it. Something to that effect. It has to say that it's enduring and that's what that means by enduring. So we call it an enduring, an enduring power of attorney <clears throat> and that's going to be probably slightly different in different jurisdictions uh, across Canada and the world. But power of attorney is similar to a personal directive in that you're appointing a substitute decision maker who is subject to the same kind of responsibilities. They have to make decisions that are in your best interest they have to re- record any, uh, a record of any decisions they make and they have to have that record for up to two years after they stop acting. Um, and the moment you, re- depending on whether it's a springing or immediate, if it's springing, what we mean by springing, by the way, is, is that it only comes into effect if you um, become mentally incapacitated. So exactly the same as the personal directive. Immediate means you sign it. As soon as it's signed, it's in, it's in effect. If it's springing, they have to monitor your capacity as well. And if, if you regain your capacity, they have to stop acting and tell everyone they've stopped acting. If it's immediate, obviously that requirement's not there. Um, Yeah. So this person, this decision maker is called an attorney and you can have, you can limit the powers to very, be very narrow, or you can grant them quite broadly to be everything that they can legally do by an attorney. And there's three things you cannot do three legal actions. You cannot take with your attorney. Those are, I probably, I feel like I probably mentioned this on our last one, but I'm going to mention them again. Anyways, those are, you can't get married on their behalf. Mm, okay. Uh, so you can't get married by your attorney. You can't rewrite your will by your attorney. Your attorney doesn't have the authority to rewrite your will, and your t- attorney cannot go to jail on your behalf.
0: <laughs> okay. I've heard that the attorney also cannot continue to act on behalf of the grantor after the grantor dies. So, like on the estate stuff, is that? Yeah. Correct?
1: Well, of course. Yeah. Of course, because the grantor. Is the person that is granting that is granting this, this power. Once they die, they're dead. That power of attorney is over.
0: Right. So they can't go cutting checks on the estate for themselves.
1: So I mean, yes, yes and no. Like could they do that and kind of get away with it? Like yes, right? They probably could, but they're not allowed to, right? The, the power in the power of attorney ends at death. Doesn't last after death. As soon as someone dies, then that would shift, that responsibility would shift to the personal representative under the will, executor. Right. Okay. Um, so if they did that, they would be in breach of that duty, which I already described. They have to make decisions that are in the best interest of the grantor and they have to record all a record of every decision they make, and they have to have, maintain those for up to two years afterwards because they're going to have to report to the executor. Um, and they may have to report to the court. Like, if there is no executor and, and, you know, the public trustee is taking over or something like that, they would have to report to the public trustee. So if you're acting as somebody's attorney, make sure you keep those records and you keep your nose clean. The court is not very patient with people who steal money from from people when they're in a position of trust.
0: Uh Right. So they couldn't go moving money into a joint account with themselves, anything like that?
1: Like the fact that it's joint in, in and of itself isn't an issue. I don't think per se, Kim, but it would be like if they just put it into their own account and there wasn't like a reason for it, Um, or, you know, or they were like, I'm going to provide this service to this person and then pay myself. No, that's a breach of fiduciary duty. So like, if you could, they do that? Yes. It's against the law.
0: Yeah. I know at our firm, we wouldn't, uh, we probably wouldn't allow that.
1: And in good reason, like if somebody was moving it from the that grantor's account that's in their sole name into an account that they hold jointly with the grantor. Like, why, why are you doing that? Maybe if it was a spouse
2: or something though, I wonder, right. If you had a spouse who was incapacitated, but they had most of, you know, maybe the assets or the, income or something went into their sole account. I wonder if that would be a situation. No, that, would be oh, totally- but then that wouldn't be for the best interest of that person. Would it? I don't know. I'm <laughs> just
1: thinking. No, this so through. what you're describing is perfectly normal and usually totally okay. In fact, mm-hmm. in the powers of attorney that I draft, I include something that, that clarifies that a little bit. It says oh, okay. specifically authorize you to maintain any joint accounts mm-hmm. and to continue to support my spouse and my children Mm, or my spouse, whatever, or my partner in the same method, more or less as, as I was doing before I became incapacitated, Mm. right? Because if you're in that situation where the mortgage comes out of a joint account, like, and you had been paying it, yeah, Yeah. like you would want that to continue. So Mm -hmm. it'd be more of a situation where it's like a not a spouse. I mean, the spouse could do things wrong as well, but not a spouse. And then they're like, they've got this joint account and they're like, I want to buy that car. Hey, George has a hundred thousand dollars in that account. He's not going to miss five grand. It's just, you know, yeah. Now, yeah. Before we go too far down that, what if rabbit hole, like that's the idea is, um, appoint somebody you trust. Because they can, they can certainly screw you over before the fraud is found and before um, the bad conduct is found. And usually people like that are good at spending money, not planning for the future. And so that money's probably gone if they've spent it. So make sure you choose someone that you trust.
0: Would you say it's common to have different people for the power of attorney and the personal directive?
1: No, it's not common. The most common is it's exactly the same person for both of those and for the personal directive. Sometimes it's not, but it's quite common that they're the same because if you think about it, like think about your own life, Kim, it's like, who would you appoint as your agent and your attorney? There's probably not a humongous pool of people that you're choosing from. You're probably thinking about one or two options and they would be good for both jobs.
0: Yeah, well, the reason actually I was thinking of it because uh, if my spouse was uh, no longer around, I would choose my sister, who's loving and caring and nurturing, <laughs> to, to do the personal directive bit, and I might pick an accountant buddy or engineer buddy to do the pers- like the power of attorney financial bit. So that's sort of why it came to mind because I think me personally, I would select different people for that. Yeah, role. <laughs>
1: and right, and so that tells me you've got like a good core of good friends that you trust. And that's great. And, um, and it it certainly doesn't have to be the same person. Yeah. Often it is though. And often like, you know, if it's someone that's a little bit older in their seventies or eighties, and they're thinking like they might actually need to use these documents relatively soon. Usually the pool of people to choose from is a little bit smaller too. Hmm. They're retired. A lot of their old colleagues are dead. It's just kind of what happens when we get older. That's something common I see. Any other questions, comments?
0: I got a call today from a bank who's acting uh, as power of attorney for a client of mine. She's 98 and uh, they're taking over. They're springing the power of attorney into action. and, And they're taking over because there is no one that no one else available to, to do that role. So to your point, I think there are people out there who, um, who just don't have someone. Interesting. The
1: bank, she named the bank.
0: Well, it's a trust department with the bank. Hmm. Yeah so they, yeah, they called me up and said there's, they're jumping into action with the power of attorney, and they've got all these instructions for me uh, so we can start uh, moving the client into long-term care and paying her bills. So um.
1: as long as they're not moving it out of your care into like their like local, unregulated, anyways.
0: Yeah, we're I mean we're very regulated on the investment side. We would be able to transfer money outside of that client's account. It would have to go into their personal bank account.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about like, oh, we'll take over these investments from here, Kim. Thank you very much. We're the bank. (laughs) That's (laughs) all we're doing.
0: Yeah, we all know how that'll go. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Anyways, it doesn't work like that. So the power of attorney. Um Sometimes we, we talk about the difference between springing and immediate and sometimes it's quite handy to have an immediate one. Like I mentioned, my wife has one for me and she does because I served in Kuwait and if anything happened while I was in Kuwait, um, that required my signature, I probably wouldn't have been able to deal with it. I probably wouldn't have been able to do something about it. Sometimes I would have, but like, especially if it was okay to have a digital one, cause I, I mean, I could scan documents and stuff like that, but, regardless, I was also in fairly high tempo situation and couldn't take time to do a bunch of admin. So my wife being able to do whatever she needed to do made a lot of sense. And, um, my car registration, uh, was up earlier this year and it was super inconvenient for me to go deal with it. And she just trotted into AMA with my power of attorney and she took care of it on my behalf. So that was nice.
2: So Evan, maybe something we didn't make super clear. So you talked about how the personal directive only comes into play with capacity. Powers of attorney can come into play with incapacity or not. Is there overlap on the decisions that these different people can make? Like the... Mm, Is it, can a personal directive agent ever make a financial decision? Can they make legal decisions? Like, is there a content difference between these two roles?
1: Yes, there is. That's why we need the two of them. One is limited to decisions about the person and the other is, um, you know, dealing with finances and, and the legal side of things. Okay. So you can
2: re-register a car with the power of attorney. (laughs) So you can sign documents and agreements and stuff. um, As long as you're not getting them married or rewriting their wills. That's right. Um, What about things like residences? Kim, you just gave the real life example of someone who was having to be moved into long-term care. Um, If that person's incapacitated, who who gets to make that decision. Would that be a power of attorney or a personal directive situation?
1: Great question. It's personal directive. Okay. Yeah. Personal okay. directive makes the decision. Like think about the powers of a guardian now.
2: Yeah.
1: I guess when we put it that way, guardian may have some overlap with a, with a power of attorney, but because um, guardian, when I think guardianship and I haven't looked at the, um, guardianship and trustees act recently or anything about represented adults. So I don't, I don't know specifically what those acts grant guardians for represented adults, the authorities, but I would, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some overlap there with what a power, an attorney could do. But, um, so I'm not, I'm not, there could be some overlap, huh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would say if you're not sure and you're in the situation where you're facing that, you know, come and talk to your lawyer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if they're like me and I don't usually people don't need my services. Like I don't do represented adults, uh, type of law, for example. Right. But if, if I had a client who I'd help that way and they, you know, I'd, I'd get them the answer before. <laughs> I just don't have it off the top of my head. Yeah. So there might be a little bit of overlap, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think normally it comes up. Mm-hmm. Changing place of residence would be guardianship, would be um, the personal directive.
2: So it might be conceivable that your agent would be saying, okay, it's time to move to long term care and making that decision on your behalf, where your attorney might be coming in and signing the lease and changing the (laughs) bank accounts and setting up payments or something. You certainly need to
1: act in concert, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you're changing the living situation such that the expenses are going to change quite a bit. Uh The attorney needs to know like they, Uh the attorney holds the keys to the safe. So um, they would have to, they would have to work in concert, obviously. Mm.
0: What would happen if there is no power of attorney and somebody becomes mentally incapable?
1: Yeah. So a person that becomes mentally incapacitated um, that's where I would think the the Guardianship and Trustees Act comes in, because the Guardianship uh, and Trustees Act that's dealing with those kind of the personal directive and power of attorney type powers, and so the public trustee I would imagine, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine that the public trustee would have to come in and take take over. And I like for sure this happens, right? Because if you live long enough, you're gonna outlive all of your family and friends. Well, you could outlive all your family, hopefully you don't, but you could find yourself in a situation where there's nobody close to you nearby, and yeah. And that would need to happen. So that's why we have a public office of the public trustee. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I've had a I've had a couple of files in my career where I've taken legal instructions from an agent of the office of the public trustee, and they're like the, they're a trustee for a person who doesn't have the capacity to make legal decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm.
2: I'm curious around i can't think of how they got involved in the first place. I guess maybe when that person turned eighteen and the people around them sort of got that up and running for them before they they um, turn the age of majority to start making decisions for themselves.
1: I would imagine it would normally kind of happen like you know they end up in in a in a hospital right because yeah. somebody's kind of on their own and they don't have capacity to end up putting themselves in a dangerous situation and would end up in the hospital. And that's where it'd be like, okay, they don't have capacity. Like who can we call? And, you know, I could see that would be a likely situation where the office of the public trustee would be notified and it would have to come in and start taking action. Mm -hmm.
0: Evan, is there a way to revoke a POA and a personal directive?
1: Yes. So if you write a new one, it revokes the old one. Um, otherwise, like it has to be original. It has to be the original, just like a will. So, um, a copy is not the document. So if you shred the original, you want to shred the copies too, because that, that can be ambiguous, right? Like, a lot of organizations will accept the copy because they realize there's only one original. Um, but often I think the banks, for example, would want to see the original and take their own copy as opposed Um, to just like, Oh, here's a copy. But other agencies might accept just the copy because most of the time people are acting in good faith and it's just kind of inconvenient to, um, So shredding the original. And if you know of any copies, you'd want to get rid of the copies too.
0: So what if somebody's slightly mentally incapacitated and they want to revoke, they don't like their, their kids decisions. They want to revoke it. The doctor deemed that the POA should be sprung into action. Um, Is there any way for that to happen?
1: Yeah, there, there is Kim. (laughs) So testamentary capacity or like the capacity to make these documents is not necessarily the same as the capacity to have the documents in force. So the questions that I have to ask the client, like, and this happens sometimes where you're dealing with somebody who you're like, we're right on that edge. And maybe lots of the time they don't have capacity So when I'm there, when I'm talking with them, I ask very specific questions and and usually I'm doing them all together. So I'm really worried about the the testamentary capacity, i.e. about the will. But I would imagine I'd have to double check the other acts to see. But it's quite possible that it's come in force because they've got the doctor's note, and they're able to be lucid enough to give instruction to revoke or to write a new one. So for the will, they have to understand what is, what does their estate consist of and they have to understand the consequences of who they're leaving things to and what that does to their estate. Um, Yeah. And that's about it. So, you know, you can think somebody might not be able to tell you everything that they have. But if you're reasonably certain that you have the documentation that shows everything they have, and they can look at that documentation and understand it and realize that that's their estate, then I would think that would check the box for, they know what their estate consists of. And if they can understand and articulate to you what they want and what that means, like, um, you know, saying things like, well, okay, I want to leave everything I have to count. And like, okay, but what's everything that you have? Do you know what that means? And if and if you can show them, okay, this is these this is all of your accounts. This is what you have, and then they can see, oh, oh I didn't know I had that much. I don't want to leave all that much to Kim. Okay, I'll leave uh, I'll leave half of it to Kim and half of it to Heather. Like, okay, well, you know, tell me a little bit about your family. Like, who else is there? So I, you go through these. You go, I go through these questions to make sure that they understand who their children are. That's usually that's usually kind of who you would want to make sure they understand and are able to articulate why they might be leaving someone out of the will. Um, Because they can, like, you don't have to include people in your will. You don't, you can exclude people except for very specific um, situations. You can exclude whoever you want from your will. Um, And so, yeah, they don't have to be totally with it. They have to understand what they have, um, and who they're leaving it to. And it has to be clear that that's what they want. Hmm. So, and so, yeah. yeah. So to translate that to like power of attorney and personal directives, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I can think of a world where they have the capacity to change those documents, but it hasn't been lifted. Do you know what I mean? So
2: where you might go to the hospital and the doctor might say this person has doesn't have capacity, but then they went to a lawyer and a lawyer would say, okay, that's fine. But for the purposes of giving me legal instructions, I do find that this person has capacity and might allow them to then change their personal create a bunch
1: of confusion. But yeah, it
2: would, like, but it's, I, I think it is possible, right? They'd be different possible. tests or different standards. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the more I'm thinking about this, Maybe. I'm thinking about, I think, I think the standard is probably going to be the same, but I think it would be more a question of in the moment that they're meeting with the lawyer, do they have the capacity? Mm-hmm. The, both of the documents cannot be revoked as long as they're, they have mental incapacity.
2: Uh, so if a doctor has said this person has mental incapacity to assign the form, then you probably couldn't change it. Then you couldn't go and revoke it.
1: Like, yeah, to be safe. Yes. That's obviously the, like, that's obviously Mm -hmm. the clearest situation. Mm -hmm. Um, It would have to, the doctor would have to say, oh no, now they have capacity. But I mean, you can think of a situation where it might be impractical to go to the doctor and, you know, a lawyer would be taking a kind of a a risk in order to um, take instructions to revoke it. If a doctor hasn't lifted that, but I certainly could imagine where that might be the case. And um, yeah.
0: Hmm. So if, if an estate was litigated because of a change that happened later on, that could, could be on the edge do lawyers have a personal liability in those cases?
1: Uh, I would think so. Yes. Like, and just kind of flesh out what you're saying, uh, what I'm taking that to mean is, so somebody is kind of like, it's questionable whether or not they have capacity and they come to a lawyer and the lawyer drafts up a new will and changes the distribution. And then later people sue about it. Sue so the, to so the, the estate basically is what would happen. Then if the lawyer made the change and were, were and the, the way that they acted was negligent, they would be liable basically for providing negligent um, advice and they would be on the hook for damages. That's why we have insurance for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could certainly see a lawyer. If a lawyer, if a lawyer has taken action and using their position and, and, created a mess and it was negligent then yeah i think they would be liable so we kind of took a sidetrack off of power of attorney <laughs> uh but it was an interesting one it, is there anything else you like do you want me to expand a little bit on the power of attorney
2: Yeah. Do you have a, more to, if you have some more to add, I think that would be great. And if not,
1: I've got I'll a couple of things. I've got questions. a couple things. Yeah. I've got a couple of things we could talk about for the power of attorney. So um, like I said, it can be really narrow and really specific and it can be broad. And one of the things that I, that come across my desk pretty regularly are people like somebody who has immigrated to Canada from a different country who has some property in that country they want to take care of. For some reason, it's usually the Philippines. Um, not because this only happens in the Philippines, but that's just, you know, probably because we have a disproportionate amount of Philippine immigrants in in the area. So um, in that kind of a situation, often they'll need a power of attorney to deal with the sale of a house or something like that. I've done, I've done ones where it has to do with the sale of a house and others where it has, has to do with payments associated with the house or something like that. And so that's an example where it's like a special power of attorney. There's no such thing as a special power of attorney, but we, would, we we call them special anyways, where it's like really narrow. It's like this specific issue I need to give this person authority for this very specific thing. So that's kind of like a custom power of attorney. And, um, those in that kind of a situation, I think the best thing to do is to have a lawyer where the property is located, prepare the document. And then just have it formalized, have the signing taken care of wherever you are, like here in Canada. Um, I've certainly prepared them for people like that, but I always tell them like, look, I have no idea, like this is legally binding here, but I have no idea if they're going to accept it in the Philippines. That's, that's up to the Philippines. They, they'll decide and it's worked so far. They haven't come back and told me it hasn't worked. So, um, I think that happens to work. The Philippines have accepted them or or officials in the Philippines have accepted them. But as a general rule, it makes more sense to have somebody in that jurisdiction prepare the document that you need. Um, So usually when it's estate planning, though, it's more of a general, more of a broad application. And um, now you can just say it's not subject to any limitations this is a power of attorney. I'm granting a full authority and there's no limitations. And that would grant the legal authority to deal with everything that we've talked about, uh, like, except for those exclusions. And this would include things like selling a house. However, another thing I tell people is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And with these documents for the power of attorney, that is certainly true. It's all in the eye of the beholder. So just because it actually provides legal authority doesn't mean people will take a lawyer's word for it. And a good example of this is the land titles office. They will not um, process a, a transaction to do with land on, a power, on authority of a power of attorney unless that power of attorney specifically sets out that explicit authority to complete that transaction. So it's got to be written right in there. If you want your attorney to deal with land in Alberta, it has to specifically state And it can't just be like deal with land. I mean, I shouldn't say it can't, I don't know. I haven't tested that out with land titles, but I wouldn't want to land titles are a bureaucratic body and their whole job is to make sure that people are not committing fraud around the transfer Uh of land. And so with good reason, they are pretty stingy about things they will accept. They really, really follow the rules. So your power of attorney, if you wanted to be able to deal with land, you should state everything you can possibly think of to do with land that you might want your attorney to do.
2: And it, does that go to specific property that you own, Evan, or giving them specific powers? I authorize them to transfer it to a family member, to sell it, to da, da, da. Or does it have to be regarding a particular piece of property, like land title, <laughs> link number 684-92, yeah. blah, blah,
1: blah. So it doesn't, it doesn't land have to,
2: unit.
1: yeah, it doesn't have to, describe a specific piece of land certainly you could if you wanted to limit it to that one parcel of land
2: oh okay
1: you could certainly do that and that would land titles would not accept that for any other piece of land right um but if you don't want to limit it to just one piece of land you don't have to include the specific land you would just have to include the specific power so you know the ability to buy or sell land you know um enter into lease grant leases, um, kind of anything you'd want to list them all out. I've got like four sub paragraphs about that in the ones that I write, Mm -hmm. I can't quote them for you, but it, you know, it deals with pretty much everything. Okay.
2: Okay. Um,
1: other than that, Oh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, um, attorneys are entitled to compensation. So, um, and I always include those, include that in mind because if you don't include something in the document, then they're going to have to go to the court to get approved to com- compensate themselves, and the court will grant it. Like it's written into the the Powers of Powers of Attorney Act and in the um, Guardianship and Trustees Act. I think it's that act. Regardless, it's in the legislation that they are allowed to uh, be compensated and there's like a range given. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the range is. It's probably something like between one and 5% of transactions um, for, for payments received and payments made on behalf of the attorney. And so uh, mine included at 2.5%. It's reasonable, kind of right in the middle of the range. And, uh, that way there's no fighting about it. You don't have to go to court to do it. It's written right into the power of attorney. Okay.
2: Huh.
1: So yeah, I think like that's everything I can think of to talk about for power of attorney and personal directive, unless you can think of something you want to ask me about,
2: mm-hmm. No, but it does, that last little bit does make a connection to the previous bit of our conversation about banks serving as power of attorney. So it does make some sense, I guess, that they, you know, I mean, I guess they would do this because it's not uh, just necessarily out of the goodness of their heart. They would make money off of um, that person's. Mm-hmm.
1: And if they're with Kim, we know they're well healed. <laughs> just. Just kidding. We don't No comments about any of Kim's clients and how much money they may or may not have. But regardless, like, yeah, I would think if the bank's going to, if the bank's going to decide they're going to get involved, there's probably enough assets there to make sense for them to do it. Um, yeah. I, that's interesting, Kim. I don't like, again, it's not like I practice in the area of law where I would see this a lot anyways, but like, I'd never heard of like a bank doing it before. It kind of bugs me actually
0: well there's there's compensation in, in two spots so if if a uh, customer or client doesn't have the people to manage uh, their personal attorney stuff, their power or their, uh, sorry, power of attorney stuff, personal directive stuff, and, and the execution of the will, they do hire out, uh, to, uh, trust companies and the advisor who gives that referral, uh, in-house would get compensated for that referral. And then the trust company would also receive compensation for the services that they eventually are going to perform. So there's, there's a lot of interest uh, from professionals to find this type of business keep it in house they keep the assets in house people get compensated for this type of business and the client in turn doesn't burden their estate uh with um, potentially having the wrong people administer or not having anybody at all so uh-huh. uh, so that uh-huh. it happens it happens quite a bit especially for high net worth folks because there's so much to to do so uh-huh
2: uh-huh yeah, it's it's a it's an advantage to have a professional in that position
0: or in that role then. But you have to be able to afford it to Evan's point. Like there or was that your point, Heather? So if if you're, you know, if somebody other than your kids are getting four percent of your estate, um, you know, that that could be a significant amount of money and uh-huh. with- be happy with it. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but pay for the service every day. Every day.
2: Yeah. I'm re- recalling that we had Damien McGrath on, and I think he spoke a little bit about that, more about the trust side and being a trustee. But I think we did touch on power of attorney in that conversation as well. Powers of attorney <laughs> in that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. I just pulled up the personal directives act and, um, which, you know, I should have looked up beforehand cause that would have been helpful, but, uh, at least like I'm on, uh, I haven't told any lies so far. Um, like I was just, there's a section about revoking the personal directive, Excellent. um, yeah, I confirm you can do it by destroying and by doing a subsequent personal directive that revokes it and, uh, or any other document that revokes it, but the document that's made revoking, it has to meet the statutory requirements of a personal directive, as far as it being in writing and signed and, and those kinds of things. Okay. Um, I was pulled, I pulled this up specifically, Kim, cause you mentioned about compensation mm-hmm. and, um, I just wanted to look up if a personal, Yeah. So for the personal directive, an agent is not entitled to receive remuneration for exercising any authority. So that one would be excluded. You probably don't find big banks acting as agent under personal directive. Um, But that would be the office of the public guardian Mm -hmm. that would do that. Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. Now that I said that there's a service providers, (laughs) uh, Yeah. No, nothing. I, I, yeah, we'll just move on. So there you go. Okay.
0: well, that was a lot. We covered a lot. This was a very important episode.
1: Yeah. I I hope, I hope it's useful. I I don't think we, we didn't get into depth on these documents last time because we just talked about wills. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is an important piece of the to the puzzle for documents you need to have as you become an adult. And um, especially if you have children, not only if you have children, but especially uh, another thing that I didn't mention, thrown right now, is in a personal directive, you can, you can um, name a guardian for your children, for your dependent children. So that's also something pretty important. If you have children, um, y- you can name guardians in your will, but a will only starts if you die. So the personal directive is where you would name your guardians for while you're in- incapacitated.
2: Right. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an important bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. Good. Well, lots to think about. I'm puzzled. I I had something else to ask, but it's gone now. So I've been sitting here trying to think and listen at the same time and I'm not able to do it. It hasn't come back. So, (laughs) well, thanks, Evan, so much for walking us through those. I think that's, um, it's, it's pretty important to know the difference between those two things and, um, um, and to know what they do and why, you know, if you go see um a lawyer like Evan to get a will done, why he's gonna be talking to you likely, or they're gonna be talking to you about these two documents at the same time.
1: Yeah. yeah. One other thing to mention about all of these documents, the will, personal directive, and power of attorney, right now in Alberta. This came in because of COVID, but I hope it never goes away. You can Execute these documents remotely. So, um, they're deeming, uh, presence by video conference to be the presence for the sake of these laws, which allows, allows you to sign them remotely. You don't actually have to physically go into a lawyer's office and it doesn't have to be, it could be for any reason. They don't limit the reasons that you would do it remotely. You're just allowed to do it remotely. Um, yeah, I think that's the last little nugget that we've started to shut her down. Um, yeah, thanks for your questions and, 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 and helping guide the conversation. I mean, it's always important to understand that, you know, I appreciate it more when I'm speaking and, and, talking off the top of my head about this type of thing. Um, and usually we're putting other people on the hot seat that have to shoot from the hip. Um, <laughs> but it's always important to understand that like we're doing our best to provide the, the information in accurately, uh, in an accurate way. But with any of these things, you know, go see a lawyer and, you know, we don't even know by the time you're watching this, this could be grossly out of date. There could be uh-huh. new laws in place. So always ask your lawyer, always ask your your financial advisor or professional that you need helping you um, don't just act purely on what we say because we don't know you
2: yeah <laughs> that's a helpful comment absolutely. <laughs> all right well this has been another episode of access to justice stay safe and warm out there folks i know we're probably gonna this is probably gonna come out well after halloween but i have no doubt it's still gonna be cold and snowy in edmonton when it does come out so <laughs> um, be careful out there i saw like a stream of facebook posts and stuff about highway closures and accidents and everything else so um yeah be careful out there and enjoy the There's snow
3: Any information in this video is general information only and is not nor is it intended to be legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up to date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Cahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or our missions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarik, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James Advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFP, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the Dales
1: decline because of he who turned water.